Shalom everybody, I'm Liel K. Bridgeford and this is Unmarginalized. Please note that the following episode contains references to perinatal anxiety and depression, birth trauma, racism and ageism, so please take care as you listen. My guest this week is Sue. Sue is a mother of two children, a former engineer and she is from Chennai in South India. So thank you so much, Sue, for joining me today. Oh, that's that's my pleasure, Liel. It's, it's a privilege to be on your show. Can you tell me and our listeners, which intersection of diversity do you identify with? I Obviously, uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is that of a migrant, um, someone who's come to Australia from uh, the subcontinent. And uh, I carry with me my cultural identity as well. Um, mm-hmm. Other than that, uh, my um, the strongest thing uh, that I see myself as is uh, being a mom and a mom that's gone through um, a rough time giving birth to both her kids, a mom with birth trauma, mm-hmm. and also a mom with uh, uh, perinatal depression and anxiety. Uh, I've had both antenatal and uh, postnatal depression and anxiety. So. Um, and then comes my profession. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's a it, it's a mixed bag for me. It comes after these two identities. Um, yeah. I started off as an engineer. I loved the job, not that I didn't like it. Yeah. Uh, I worked in a few places, um, and I did well. But uh, after my uh, life experiences, I got drawn towards psychology. And I'm trying to be trying to become a psychologist. You know, when did you actually realize that you were kind of living through these intersections? I mean, being being a migrant uh, um, was something that hit my face in the first week of coming to Australia because okay. uh, I was uh, harassed racially on the on my first uh, public transport trip, and I didn't realize what was going on. Yeah, and. That was uh, the first time I realized that I was different uh, to the people around me. And then um, when I became a mom, uh, for the first time, I had gone through uh, um, birth trauma. And I needed some explanation from uh, the people who uh, were working there. And I asked them, what happened to me? Can can someone tell me what happened? Yeah. And then there was... uh, I don't know what how I came across because the people that spoke to me were very highly placed in the organization and they kept referring to my race. They probably thought I felt um, uh, uh, racially uh, alone or something, but I didn't feel like that. So wow. I, that's when I noticed the intersectionality because to others, I didn't look like just a mom who's gone through birth trauma and wanted answers. Yeah. I looked like a mom from a minority as well. Yeah, and that was a revelation for me because I didn't see myself as those two things put together. I saw them as different aspects of me. But Wow, that's really, um, really interesting and kind of confronting. So there's a lot there that you said. Um, so can I just go back to the experience of on public transport? If, can you tell me what happened? Yes, uh, we were looking to uh, move houses and we were just uh, renting at the time. And I was, uh, my husband was at work, he was in a different suburb, and uh, I had to join him for one of those um, um, home inspections. Mm-hmm. So I was, took the public transport. I had, um, I was, I mean, I had been overseas before, not just, uh, I was, I didn't come directly from India to, um, Australia. I had lived in okay. the US for a while, and I had right. used the public transport extensively there. Yeah. Uh, so I thought I knew my way. Uh, yeah. And I, I was pretty confident, but um, I suddenly there's something that hit my head, and I kept turning back, and then there was nobody, and then I kept being hit again and again, and then uh, um, a couple of kids, uh, probably teenagers, so maybe around thirteen to fifteen. They just started sniggering and I didn't realize what was happening. And when they caught up, they said something about my clothes and the way I looked. 
and wow. uh, apparently they had been throwing peanuts or something and wow they threw it on my face as well and that was a shock i don't know because when i talked about it uh, for the with my husband he said probably the 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 kids need help yeah and they might be trouble kids or something and so that sort of uh, mellowed down the experience for me because to uh, see mm. from their perspective as well not not just feel the victim yeah absolutely but i think it's a really big thing and you know that was the first week or week and a half after you just arrived to australia yeah. that must have been really shocking and i think you know even though we say and i we get told that all the time as you know as a minority or if we get bullied for whatever reason we get told it's their fault and but just ignore it and i think you know on the one hand it's good that you can we can kind of have that empathy for the other side but at the same time it's not okay you know you that's really a terrible experience for you and i can't yes. imagine you know that would have left you feeling all sorts of things about being in australia and being in public that is true and i still worry for my kids whether they would have to experience something of that sort if ever they use public transport for by themselves I mean every time it was another experience with public transport as well I was waiting in the bus stop and that was much later and there was this um old man um probably in his uh, uh 70s or 60s he just yeah. came and told me that I should be going back on the boat um I didn't come by boat I came by uh, <laughs> a flight but wow. they brought me yeah. uh, group us all in one bunch based on our color or whatever and he said that's safer for me and and he worried for me and it's that's it's what he said he was worried yeah. he was worried about he your well being yeah and that was a random person that you did not yes, know just a random person an elderly person i, I usually uh, i'm a bit soft with uh, people people who are older because um my parents live on their own uh overseas yeah. and i usually mm, imagine them to to represent them in some way because uh yeah yeah and i am quite uh, soft with strange people as well that was a shock to me coming from someone who whose uh, demographic i respect deeply well, firstly how ignorant and how rude it's just unbelievable and those are the kind of microaggressions that you know people don't realize how much um minority groups experience still in australia that's really awful and it makes it so hard to deal with as well because you think oh this person is really nice is he being racist or not like it can be confusing did you find yeah. that yes i didn't even know if i had to take offense to that okay <laughs> i didn't even know if i should call it racism <laughs> but it it was in a certain way and it wasn't at the same time yeah yeah it's complicated it's very complicated and sounds like you didn't really want to say anything at the time and you didn't is that right like you didn't really know what to say as well i didn't say anything and i didn't want to say anything even now i would i don't think i would say anything okay i don't want to come across as someone um who's trying to push their views on people from a different generation it's very difficult even i it happens mm. to my parents as well you just have to pick your battles that's what i feel but yeah. it is a, it is a burden to carry absolutely that you go away and you think what are you know what are what do people think about me right now <laughs> what do they yeah what assumptions are they making about me yeah you don't realize that it's not just from uh, random strangers it's even from people from um, in a profession because uh, okay. I whenever I had to deal with a uh, a doctor from a certain generation I mm-hmm. had this experience because uh they when I took my um child to his first pediatric appointment um, mm-hmm. my husband's a bit uh, uh, uh darker than me in terms of skin color Okay. And he just took one look at us and he said, "Oh, your son's very uh, uh, really lucky to have uh, you as parents because uh, you wouldn't have to worry about skin cancer." Oh my god. And that was a joke in his mind, but yeah. We didn't know how to react to that. We just uh, it was very awkward. And, and the first time it was the first time that you met this professional as well? Yes, first time. Okay. Yeah. And but he, He was really nice to us. He was very professional. He was a good doctor, but 
these remarks entertain him and <laughs> i don't know how people can find it funny but they did yeah and it, that is the thing you know people use humor as a way to degrade other people and yes. that's that isn't another one of those microaggressions that are so difficult to handle because you know they people can then use that as an excuse, excuse so easily they can just say you know oh i was just joking as if that makes it okay like it doesn't it actually does not make it okay no and sometimes i don't even realize they're joking because it wasn't a joke to me yeah exactly with a professional especially a medical professional there's a power imbalance as, as it is you know as a patient we're coming in and we expect the professional to give us their best advice to look after our health or our child's health especially and then for them to um use kind of these microaggressions and racism it's just um it's really wrong and it, it puts us at a think you know put you at a even more vulnerable position than you, than you are as a patient in the first yes, place that's true uh, because uh, there was one other experience i know i'm going on with uh, a lot of these stories no. yeah, yeah like you mentioned it's the power imbalance there was this time when i was really worried about my health and i had seen a specialist and he probably thought i was i could be anemic and um, he was writing me uh, a request for a test a uh, blood test yeah and uh, i i was just uh, quite anxious at that moment but he said i am forced to write a blood test for you because of your skin color but for someone with light skin i would just tell that they are anemic the moment they walked in and with you i'm not able to find out because <laughs> your skin color is just hiding it i mean i i I know I, I there are there are doctors in countries with brown people and yeah. they do diagnose anemia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know how seriously I I was quite anxious at that moment and this comment was something which I didn't even um think was wrong because I just thought he was doing it for my uh, good and whatever he was doing at that moment and he was yeah. the professional and he's supposed to be professional and whatever he says is professional yeah <laughs> so anybody <laughs> wasn't uh, now these days uh, i find that for every uh, person who thinks like that you know that it's okay to be casually racist there are people who are extremely yeah. cautious of what they say and yeah. i wouldn't wish that on them as well because people it's okay i can take a little bit of racism if it's done in the right right sense but i i don't i don't want it to um be be as a constant reminder of that i am different and i'm the outsider and i don't belong absolutely that i'm quite concerned about and i really um, think that talking about it is the way like you said at the start of this podcast is to just give space for those experiences and voices and you mentioned before i'm really curious to hear as well you mentioned at the um organization after your birth that they said that your race was a part of the picture when you didn't feel that it was can you yeah. tell me about that it was not uh, it was unique in the sense that uh, they were trying to make me feel um included probably because they didn't want me to uh, uh, feel alienated but i wasn't feeling alienated because they specifically came and shared food with me Uh, mm-hmm. after i wanted to uh, hear the explanation it didn't happen before that they were very curious yeah. about um, uh, i mean uh, my mother was there and she they were very curious about my culture and they um, even wanted to uh, uh, say that they have lots of other people minorities come and um, use their hospital and they give birth there because yeah. that wasn't a statistic i was looking for i was looking for a statistic that said that how common is my birth trauma because yeah. i didn't want to know how common it is for uh, women of a certain race to come and give birth in the hospital that is something that i didn't look for but it was a statistic that was offered to me as an explanation of my birth trauma and i didn't know where it fit in the picture wow so they said basically that because you for, because of your culture a cultural background that was the reason for experiencing birth trauma probably that was the reason they felt that i uh, wanted an explanation and needed an answer because i was feeling 
like an outsider and that I had some racial insecurity, which I did not have. And I still don't yeah. have. Australia has been a great country. Despite these few incidents, there have been so many instances where I have felt included. It didn't strike me at that moment that I was an outsider and I had to feel a certain way about being an outsider, which yeah. I didn't. <laughs> you had to fit into their template of what it meant yes. to be, you yeah, know, people are, someone who isn't white, basically. Yeah, people assume things about you if you're a minority. And uh, yeah. one of it is that, oh, he, they, they come from a certain group. Maybe they're feeling left out and maybe that's why they're feeling um, a little bit um, uh, sad and upset and they want answers. Is that why? Should I address that as well? Yeah. Yeah, but it's not that case. You know, I'm just a person. I'm probably a user or a client of your services. And yeah. it treats me like any other client. Exactly. And wanting a feedback. I'm just wanting a feedback for my experience. They're my experience, but not the experience of people from my uh, cohort. Absolutely. <laughs> that doesn't that- relate to me. No, and that assumption, like so many assumptions, aren't they, about what you're meant to feel and you're meant to feel exactly how other people from your cultural group are are meant to feel like we are all the same, like you're all the same. Um, And people make such assumptions about lots of different minority groups. You know, every person with disability must hate, you know, for myself as a disabled person, must hate their lives, you know, must hate their body. It's like, no, we have great lives and we love our lives and I love my body and and you should have got that answers that you were asking for and not um you know and that's part of the reason for doing this podcast is to kind of I guess make people understand what it's like to be in you know your shoes and shoes of other people um and I'm wondering do you think as professionals they wanted to support you in that moment and I'm wondering in a professional environment if someone wanted to raise this issue with a client do you think there's a better way or a more sensitive way to do that Maybe at that time, just relating to my experience, I would have probably asked, wanted them to ask about how I felt, um, supported, um, not just assume things, whether I really identified with that uh, uh, supposed sense of being a minority at that moment. I do identify with that, but not at that moment. At that moment, I was just a mom. And... It's probably good to check with the person before jumping to conclusions. And I know people are trying to be nice, but oftentimes that's not useful. That's such great advice, just to listen and not to make any assumptions because we know that all of us are changing at every moment. You know, for me, I know that sometimes I identify as Israeli and other times I don't. Um, and also sometimes I identify as a disabled person and other times I don't think about it. So we really need to be avoiding making assumptions because they can be damaging to listening to how someone is actually feeling in the moment. Um, you know, we talked a lot about kind of what it was like, what it's been like for you as a a woman of a minority, um, in lots of different contexts. I'm wondering what it was like, you know, you mentioned going through mental health issues after your birth and while you were pregnant too. So can you tell me what it was like to kind of navigate that in the context of your culture? Yeah, um, the biggest thing that I can think of is uh, within me because I really didn't have the vocabulary for what I was going through in my culture, we okay. just associate anything um, uh, that's mental with physical symptoms, even the language okay. like that. Because, uh, for instance, what, what do you mean? For instance, if you are anxious, we just say we have a uh, tummy ache. Okay, <laughs> yep, <laughs> because they got butterflies <laughs> in your stomach. <laughs> yep. <laughs> So they yep. use the same word to express both the physical uh, uh, issue and the mental problem. So I really didn't recognize it for a long time. Um, yeah. Then I finally did. I didn't have the vocabulary for it because I couldn't okay. express it to the people next to me or even if I had to see someone. Uh, professionally, I didn't know how to bring up the topic or even talk about it or whether it needed yeah. the attention that it deserved. That that yeah. was a big stumbling block because of my culture and my upbringing. I do see uh, things changing in my culture. I see uh, a lot of my um, younger relatives talking about mental health uh, much better than I did. 
But at the really? same time, there's a generational gap. I can, I still don't talk about what I feel with my parents. Um, okay. I, the irony is I took my um, dad to see a psychologist when I was going through antenatal um, PTSD. And he mm-hmm. came with me. He had no clue who I was going to see. He sat outside uh, uh, waiting for me to come out. <laughs> really? So he went with you to the office yes, or the clinic yes. and he didn't know what it was about? No, and, and he uh, really? still doesn't know. And it's very hard. Even if I try to talk to them, they try to normalize it. Uh, thing that yeah. um, that relative had it, uh, this person they knew had it, and they are fine, and it's nothing. There's nothing that needs addressing. They all cope. It's just a, a natural transition in life, and different people react yeah. differently. You have always been a sensitive child. They, they oh really? Yeah, <laughs> things like that. Okay, uh, which make me doubt whether I'm exaggerating. And even now, uh, with my friends from my culture, if I try to talk about it, they find they quickly get traumatized. The moment okay. I okay, and it feels like you're bringing down the uh, vibe of the moment, or you're just dampening uh, the spirits of the occasion by just. I mean, I meet them during uh, uh, some get-togethers or parties, and if we find yeah. a quiet corner and we talk about uh, uh, things that are um, related to our life experiences, and if ever mental health comes up, no one wants to listen because it 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 is a taboo topic. Sounds like it was really difficult, you know, getting that normalizing can be minimizing as well sometimes yes. because people say, oh, it's you know, it's nothing, nothing to worry about. So what if you're feeling, you know, really down or really anxious or um, whatever you're experiencing is is normal, um, then doesn't deserve any support? Yeah, and, and people uh, assume that there's this tendency that anxiety is um, connected to responsibility in the Indian culture. That's what I feel because okay. uh, if you don't worry about things, you're being um, laid back and lazy. That's the... Uh, <laughs> The warrior is seen to be someone who has got um, a sense of responsibility about them. And and that was a big uh, learning for me to have because I had never seen it as something wrong with me. It has always been a a positive, on the other hand, being conscious. And and people didn't uh, um, see it as a weakness. It was seen as a strength. That's so interesting. So it's actually encouraged in Indian culture to be anxious. And it was debilitating uh, sometimes. And even if it was debilitating, I thought it was something that I was doing right. It was still like a success because you were being worried enough to care. Like worrying (laughs) equals caring. (laughs) Yeah. It's, um, and I think it's like that, you know, in quite a few cultures. I know that, and like also families, you know, I know that for me, I've, I've had that mentality too when I became a mom. And one of the first feelings I've had for my child when I was pregnant was worry. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember one of my colleagues said, well, that's the first, first kind of sign of attachment. You know, you're worried about yeah. your unborn child. And, um, but it was really um, uncomfortable as well. Oh, like there's kind of a worry that's Good, but then there was some worry that really felt uncomfortable for me as well. Yes. When, yeah. when I let go of that idea, it was very difficult for my family to accept that because they thought okay. at me as someone, something's wrong with me and uh, I need um, to pay more attention to my mothering or whatever that is. Oh. Yeah, even my dad, he, um, I remember the first time I left my kids with him to go to the gym. He literally yeah. harassed me. He kept calling me every minute saying, the baby's crying. Come back. Then I oh, no. How irresponsible. Your mom never left you when you were this young. Did I thought that I was doing something wrong just by leaving my kids for a few minutes with, with, with someone else. Yeah, there's a, that sounds like a lot of pressure. Yeah, and it was hard for them to understand that concept of self-care. Although they practiced yeah. it in subtle ways themselves because they, everybody is okay. human. But I, yeah, of course. they didn't like, <laughs> like that to be done explicitly. Does, does it feel like there's um, 
shame almost like if you're looking after yes. yourself is kind of shameful in a way it's shameful and it's also um uh, it's mainly it's, i think here i should say that i'm identifying myself as a, a woman because uh, yep. my culture is very patriarchal and it's all right for men to just <laughs> engage in self-care but the woman needs to um she really self-care is a big leap for a woman yeah. for men it's just something they do and you know patriarchy is still alive and kicking in i think in our culture too here yeah. in australia but sounds like there's a quite a significant gap um you know from the culture you come from in terms of men have these privileges of being allowed to yes. and maybe even celebrated to like self-care yeah. and then for women it's absolutely shameful but things are changing and i'm glad about that but people are pushing back talking about these things. things it's so important um and you know you mentioned that you did manage to kind of let go of those expectations of having to be anxious and not looking after yourself um how do you think you managed to do it i think uh, the first time i did that was uh, i don't know it probably because uh, i it, it came organically i had to do and I did little things not I didn't take big steps I did very small things and mm-hmm. uh, initially it was hard for my uh, husband to even relate to it because he also thought that being a parent meant you had to be there all the time but then when I yeah. encouraged him to uh, take care of himself he started supporting each other it felt nice yeah the moment it started feeling nice you more encouraged to engage in it more because it yeah. felt like this is what i was looking for all this time that light bulb moment <laughs> yeah <laughs> i met her <laughs> i met her yes i do <laughs> and i'm a person and i exist here as me it's just that uh, yes. we come from a collective culture and we yes. so enmeshed into this um, uh, uh, family and sometimes the wider society as well and we tend to lose a sense of who we are and when yeah. we got a little snippets of time to just to do that it feels like uh, what a big relief that's incredible and so interesting you know the collective versus individualistic cultures you know i think the israeli culture um kind of when you rate it it's somewhere in the middle so we have kind of both um i think the australian rates very highly on the indivi- individualistic um but sounds like the indian culture is more the collective and that is a big gap isn't it but i love yeah. that aspect of australian culture because uh, i'm an yeah. only child and i really love uh being an only child and and i like the way that australians look after themselves uh, i mean even even yeah. i see a lot of old people being so independent and they they just don't want to um uh, uh be be uh, uh look be, be dependent on someone for for anything and they nothing really gets them down that's mm-hmm. what i feel because when i see okay. uh, people of a similar generation in india they get they feel old very early they used to being taken care of by the uh, children and looked after yeah. they just don't realize that they can do much more with their lives they sort of mm-hmm. retire as soon as they are professionally made to retire it's just they retire from life but <laughs> i don't see that in australia at all and it's been so refreshing and inspiring for both me and my husband because but whereas in india yeah. the moment you cross uh, 30 you're made to feel old and you really <laughs> yeah i've seen 30. many friends in 30 who feel wow. like they, they 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 actually called uh words like aunt yep. uh sister or oh, elder sister by strangers because uh we have that uh, practice of uh, uh it's it's a form of endearment we refer to strangers as uh, brother and sister and just like we say bro yep. uh it's something like yeah. that, like that <laughs> yeah so when you reach that stage and you hit 30 you you go refer to as an aunt because when i go back to india i am called an aunt and it's like what i don't feel like what <laughs> <laughs> and even when you go go to a a a, a beautician they give refer to uh, give you um recommend products meant for mature skin and all really 
said, no, where am I using this? <laughs> I mean, I'm much older than 30 wow. now, but I, I, it started happening when I, and when I was 30 and I, it's, that's incredible. And that's amazing about Australia because uh, I think it's a yeah. country where people stay forever young. <laughs> yeah. I love that idea. Yeah. Forever young in Australia. Yeah. That's Despite wonderful. the sun, I guess. Yeah. Despite the sun. <laughs> With a lot of sunscreen and yes. hat. <laughs> yeah, we talked a lot about the external stigmas in your culture and in, in Australia and all of that. Do you feel that you've dealt with internalized stigma as well? Yes, I um, I refuse to uh, seek professional help, although my husband was all for it. I refused to seek professional help, thinking that it would be a long-lasting stigma for me and my children. And when they grow okay. up and uh, they have issues, they would probably think that their mom gave it to them and things like that. So that stopped me from actually, um, although I knew I needed uh, some support, that stopped me from yeah. getting it or taking it. So that was really? my um, first step. And then I had to, there was a, a big deal because uh, it's okay for people in my culture to give their children diabetes or heart disease, but it's not okay for all them to give uh, any mental illness. But okay. it's perfectly yeah. fine. If, I mean, people just talk about my dad has diabetes. My, I have three generations of diabetes running in my family. <laughs> so absolutely fine. But it's, it's not fine yeah. or anything else right. to do with mental health. That stigma, the, the taboo that you talked about. Yes. And it's, it's, yeah. it, it was uh, more than me. I was just worried about my kids and what it means for them. Yeah. Because uh, mm. my, as I said, my big identity is as a mom. Once I became mom, it became, became a mom. It was the biggest thing in my life because of what I went through. Yeah. And also my culture just makes it um, uh, a big deal because the mothers see all sacrificing uh, goddess or whatever, <laughs> whatever is the perfect <laughs> being. And, and then I just don't like that idea or even of Mother's Day, you know, it just glorifies the mother so much. Mostly uh, just uh, wanting to accept that and even talk about it with my children. I, I have uh, significant uh, uh, trouble. I had significant trouble talking about it, about what I went through with my kids. When, mm-hmm. when, when they see pictures of uh, themselves in the early uh, days, uh, my son's not very clued on with all this but my daughter is she's she says why don't you smile why don't you look happy in those pictures really and and i don't feel like i have to lie to her earlier i used to just avoid those questions but now as she becomes older i I just tell her that i was not well at the time and then it became better and then what i was going being a bit sad or what what what, i just explained my experience Mm. in a language that she would understand because I yeah. felt I was being dishonest with um, my child about a very important question that were, that's very relevant to mm. her and it's important that she knows what her mum went through and what what and that it is okay for her to feel that way as well. It's, it's I yeah. just wanted to send that message across. And so interesting what you said about you know the glorifying of motherhood and I think that there's kind of and what you mentioned about even Mother's Day you know mothers having to be sacrificing everything to be a good mother and it's so much pressure because it's not just the you we get the credit but as a mother but you also get all the responsibility with that you know that you are responsible for everything <laughs> um, and like you said you know you're expected to be there all of the time and that's unrealistic for most people yeah and unhealthy yeah and the yeah. mother's days that when mothers are taken care of and allowed time for themselves just on one day, it's not fair. One day, no. <laughs> that is not enough for anyone who's listening to this. It is not enough. <laughs> and I'm so like, it's absolutely incredible that you're able to talk to your, you know, your daughter about it now. And I think that what you're doing is you're you're breaking that taboo. So. Yeah. yeah, we are all allowed to have a, a cold, we are allowed to have a sneeze, but we are not allowed to feel depressed or anxious. Yeah. I just don't want my children to 
grow in an environment like that because I want them to know it's okay to feel not okay. Um, and I'm, I guess I'm curious, what do you find most interesting or exciting about kind of navigating all these different identities and your life, I guess? I feel that, uh, that I have a different, all of us wear different hats. And, yeah. Um, sometimes uh, what I find interesting is that I'm allowed to wear more than one. And yeah, and I can take off one if I want, and I can put on one if I want. Um, I don't know if others uh, see me see see my hats disappear and see my hats appear again. But for me, they do. Yep. They 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 are there and they're not there. Now, coming back to your question, um, I I don't I I don't think uh, I. Uh, uh, really realized that I was actually navigating these different identities until you mentioned it. Yep. But, <laughs> but uh, coming the power of reflection, yes, right? Yes. <laughs> but coming to think of it, uh, I don't think uh, it has been smooth. It has been messy, but it has been wonderful at the same time. Yeah. It just defines me as a as who I am uniquely, and yep. I'm I'm proud of every. Um, Every badge that I wear, even ones that are not great, because without those, I wouldn't be who I am. And I wouldn't have uh, the qualities that I have now. And I'm, yeah. I'm very thankful for those experiences. I didn't, I didn't, I don't see myself of, of reaching here if I had not taken that path. I'm really glad to be here right now in this moment that's incredible what a great response um i'm wondering you know because we're talking about the different hats and taking them off and on and um you know some people who identify with multiple minority groups feel that they don't kind of fully belong in any of those groups so for instance in her book the pretty one kia brown writes about feeling that she doesn't fully belong to the black community nor the disability community um do you identify with that experience at all yes i do i do um but what I would say is uh, whenever I find myself belonging, it's just for a certain part of me that belongs there. And mm -hmm. I really treasure that sense of belonging. Whereas the other yeah. part of me which doesn't fit in there, it's still deprived. But what I cherish here, I just want to cherish it fully and then feed, yeah. feed the other part later on wherever it feels belonged <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah but i do feel that because yeah. i don't feel like i fit anywhere 100 uh, percent it makes it interesting because i don't want to be painted yeah. with one hue uh, I, I i like to be someone with different shades it makes me more complex and yeah <laughs> mysterious i guess <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so much to you, Sue. Um, I know I have that experience too, you know, in the, um, like if I meet Israelis now, I'm like, oh yeah, you know, I feel kind of a sense of belonging. But then in some, par some parts of me don't feel like that because I feel very much Melbourneian now and kind of Australian too. So that doesn't fit and um, disability is quite a taboo topic in my culture still, like not really talked about. So then I can't really talk about that part of, of myself. Yeah. So yeah, you need to also, for yourself, you kind of find different ways of nourishing all these different parts of yourself. Yeah, but sometimes, uh, uh, like you mentioned, it's, it's, it's hard. I mean, you, you really have that strong feeling when you're belonging somewhere to want to open up and speak about the whole of you. You want to um, really yeah. want really want that sense of being there 100%. But it, it's not possible. You just have to remind yourself that this is not the... Uh, time or the space for that uh, you've got to keep the child inside you quiet mm. that wants to be part of the uh, um, group but you, it's not it's not it's, it's just a learning it's just part of being a complex adult we all are complex beings we're not simple you know that sometimes um maybe you feel that you need to underplay or hide parts of yourself is that right? That's kind of what yep. I'm hearing. Yes, yes, you're yep. very right, Lil. Um, I recently had an experience as well because where I had to, um, there was just a discussion of uh, a few people talking about their uh, birth experience, and I had to just pick the parts which would not traumatize others. Uh, probably my way of caring for them, but I had to, even the ones that were really traumatic mm -hmm. for me, I had to. 
um, use a different language. I had to make it funny. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. And in one wow. way, it was healing for me because I'd learned to look at my experience from a different perspective. But yeah. it's not that, um, it, it's not, it, it is hard. It is hard just trying to be totally honest. You've yeah. got to be very tactful in um, places like that because for merely for the fear that you don't want to lose that sense of belonging that mm-hmm. you already have. You don't want to ruin something that's already good by just bringing in something new. Yeah, absolutely. And there is that's so interesting that there is a fear that, you know, if you fit into this group, at least part of you fits yeah, in yeah. and feels included, then you don't want to feel completely excluded. So maybe that is a reason sometimes for hiding you know, parts of us or parts of, you know, who you are. And, you know, it is, it's a, it's a real fear. It's based in reality. You know, I think that it's important for people to understand that it's based on your experiences of getting, you know, food thrown at you in the bus and people downplaying your mental health. And um, so, of course, you'll be worried about feeling excluded and um, being alienated as well. That's true. Um, yeah. Yeah, I uh, find it strange sometimes when I find it actually uh, ambivalent for myself because whenever uh, we're in another setting and people refer to my background, only in a positive way, mm-hmm. I don't know yeah. how far of my background that I can share. And, mm. and what is, I always think about the audience. It's not free for me. Yeah. I, don't, I don't just share freely just see what is acceptable for this group and is it mm. is it okay for me to talk about this here it's just that um that background process that goes in my mind so yeah it's that constant editing yeah. that happens so you, yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. you think of saying something and then you proofread it in your mind and then you edit and you scrub and you change things and then it comes yeah. up with something else yeah Uh, yeah Yeah. I love that that's so important like and I think it happens for so many of us you know but it is also exhausting you know Um, because sometimes you just yeah you just want to have a chat and relax and (laughs) whatever and um that's a lot of work to go into just what do I share here but in certain conversations where identities clash it's that's where I I feel like uh, I have I should have done better I should have done this I should have in in others, I mean, it's usually in, um, in places where you have people from different uh, parts of your identity there, where you relate yeah. both of them, but although in different ways, but you've got to yeah. engage with both. That's that's a very challenging position for me. There's edits ready for, <laughs> you know, the mom friends and edits ready for the yeah. Indian friends and edits yeah. ready for the <laughs> um, – then all of a sudden – they come together and what do you do with that it's hard it's hard yeah, yeah. but it's interesting i mean the, the uh, intersectionality as you i have not heard of the term until you uh, talked about it but uh, it's really no i haven't but <laughs> but it makes so much sense to me now and i i i, I yeah. feel like i was being pulled in different directions now i know that i'm in one piece just when i just yeah. that word to define what i was going through Interesting, because I was actually going to ask, and maybe that's yeah. a part of the answer, but maybe you have more to add. What does intersectionality mean to you? <laughs> it didn't mean, <laughs> it, it, it didn't uh, even exist in my uh, um, vocabulary until now, but now I really yeah. love the word because it explains yeah. <laughs> to me a lot of things that I was going through. And it's, uh, it's uh, intersectionality to me means that um, I'm not pulled in all directions, but I am yep. part of both. It's like I have a feet in my in the bedroom and a feet in my study, and I have I, I am in my house. It's it's my house. It's just different rooms in my house. It's not that I am um, mm. I, I, I I am being being dragged here and made to let go of the other. It's my intersectionality is something that allows me to be part of both. 
it has its challenges it has uh, no doubt but it also has its benefits i'm curious you know we when we're recording this it's december 2020 uh it's been a very tough year for so many of us with covid with lockdowns with border closures um and more so did it have do you think particular challenges or highlights for you this year yes this uh, year um just just this was a bit too much because uh, we lost uh, a family member and we had to do a virtual funeral and that uh, didn't even feel like we were we were part of the family and um, wow and because of the restrictions we couldn't go uh, even now i even after the lockdowns been lifted uh, yeah i feel like uh, our lives are not the same it's mm-hmm. and it's never going to be the same merely for the fact that we had gone through this and yeah. not being able, i mean i usually visit my family once a year and not being able to go there mm-hmm. um feels strange and usually go there for christmas and uh feels sad that we can't go and um, of course yeah and it's a strange time it's a strange time to uh, i mean i there's been birds in the family deaths in the family it's a strange time to um, yeah be living it's not not a strange time just to experience a certain experience it's just it's a strange time to be Absolutely and completely agree with you you know life is never going to be the same and i mean that's positive and negative too and um it leads me to my next question you know because um i really relate to the idea that we're going to build our society not from scratch but we have an opportunity after covid to change um because things are you know starting again almost so what do you think needs to change in our society to make your life and the lives of others who are navigating intersectionality better I think that uh, uh assumptions and what people assume about you or your identity that needs to uh, come down because um yep as as humans it's our tendency to simplify things and put things in boxes so that you yes. don't have to spend too much time thinking so but yeah. do that about people as well because I think that needs to uh, reduce because that's what uh, is the problem then it's not mm. hard for uh, our children I mean schools especially yeah. I think is the starting point where and I think they are doing a good job these days um where, where th- things about identity and uh, intersectionality need to be introduced because uh, kids also simplify things it's not just uh, uh, the older generation they also tend to simplify things but it's the people that like us uh, who are in the middle of uh, the, the age line that hold a big responsibility i mean both exactly yeah school i, I think schools are a big starting point for for our society to think of even making a change Absolutely. Well said, Sue. Thank you. That's really good. Really good points. You mentioned a few things that you're proud of, Sue, but I'm wondering if there was anything that you wanted to share, something that you're, you know, most proud of. Uh, the thing that I'm most proud of is uh, being here. Being here. I mean, all of us should be proud yeah. of it because we've gone through two waves and we've come out of yeah. it. I mean, COVID's just given us so much to be proud of. it's 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 just living through this year makes us a part of history and yeah privilege just to go through this i mean we deserve a place in history as well for being part of a population that went through a significant global trauma and we've absolutely we're we just pulling through we're just showing the strength of humanity and yeah and then we're showing the good bad and the lazy we there are places where deeds have been bad <laughs> and yes <laughs> they have big time <laughs> and we are also seeing places where they very uh, it's incredible stories i mean stories are emerging you know and i'm very proud being i mean despite whatever me my individual experiences might be i'm really proud of being part of this collective 
My very last question for you, Sue, if there's anyone listening today to this who's struggling to navigate intersectionality, what message do you have for them? Uh, well, just be proud of wearing all your hats and be f- and feel free to take them off and put them on anytime you want. Never, never give up that freedom to wear them and take them off as you feel. It's yeah. very easy to sacri- feel tired and give up that freedom, but it's something that very precious and not worth fighting for. Um, what a, an incredible chat we've had, Sue. Wow, I am overwhelmed by how much you've shared and how many different topics we've touched on yes. in one chat. Yes. It's amazing. And I've um, learned a lot about myself thanks to you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's, it's been a great honour to be featured on your podcast and yep. I really, really enjoyed this time. And I hope your podcast becomes a big success and you get a lot of, lot of interesting <laughs> people and voices that, that, that uh, uh, you, you get to feature in your show. And uh, the, the human experiences are so complex and unique. And I am, yeah. I am, I am really, really impressed by the effort that you've taken to give a space for those voices. Because thank you, Sue. We all get boxed into the numbers and statistics and categories, but giving, yeah, untangling all that and just giving, yep. serving that in a, uh, in in a in a wonderful uh, uh, buffet of uh, human experiences is what you're doing, and I really appreciate the effort. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you. I'd like to respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which I'm recording the podcast, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and pay my respect to their elders past, present and emerging. As we tell our stories, I want to highlight the traditional owners of this land have been storytellers for generations. Like this show? To support the ongoing making of this podcast, go to my Patreon account on www.patreon.com slash lielkbridgeford. You can also just make a one-time donation on my blog. Go to lkbridgeford.com slash support me. And don't forget to subscribe, rate and review the podcast. Until next time.